welcome to the Eureka Street Crypto Podcast. Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto, broadcasting from Leander, Texas. It is 6.10 in the morning on a Saturday, um, July 30th, 2022. And this is episode number 483, and I'm, I'm doing these episodes at a slower cadence now, um, have a lot of other stuff going on <clears throat> between job and between doing DAO stuff, so yeah, man, the Web3 space is is doing very well, regardless of all this crypto downturn and in price and all that stuff. The bear market. I barely even. I'm barely even paying attention to the price of things. Um, I'm really trying to learn a lot about technology lately. I'm taking a lot of LinkedIn learning courses on uh, data science and taking Amazon Web Services classes. Um, you know, learning all about that and Microsoft Azure and all that. Um, because the more I am focused on you know, Web three. And um, this whole you know crypto space, the more I'm realizing and the more white papers that I've read on a lot of these altcoin projects is how much I don't understand about computer information technology. And if you're really going to understand a lot of these crypto projects, you really have to understand the infrastructure of it all and about data and and um, <clears throat> you know this there's there's lots of things coming out that are fun like nft games and you know, DeFi's fun to learn about and i've been completely stoked with this entirely new open world and what crypto represents about the whole idea of of uh being autonomous and, and sovereign and financially free and being able to circumvent the credit systems and the banking systems and the whole idea beyond that behind that and the whole idea of the central bank digital currency being ushered in along with ai and a social credit score and things like that and you know us being able to take our our freedom and our privacy and our data in our own hands and being able to to circumvent this oppressive system that is being imposed on us and giving us an alternative route however that does not come with uh without risks and this is the wild west and the web 3 and the crypto space and a lot of people are getting wrecked financially and uh, it has also reminded people in a sense why we need in why we need regulations and why there are laws there and why things like the sorbanes oxley act came about and and hipaa came about for data privacy and it's just you know you want to just paint the opposition you know the the regulators the lawmakers you know the system as bad you know and uh, there are a lot of bad things about the system but uh, there are reasons a lot of that stuff has been put in place is because um innocent people have gotten hurt yeah, so I don't want to be polarizing and uh, just take one side of things. I want to try to step back and learn and look at the big picture. And I think that's really important. And that's why I'm taking these courses about data science on LinkedIn and why I'm learning about Amazon Web Services to get a better understanding um, and also to help me uh, not get rug pulled by a lot of these altcoin projects and stuff. I don't think it's all a Ponzi. Um, I think that... Um, a lot of people have good intentions and they're really trying to push the limits and learn and and uh, learn for themselves, but put out products that are trying to to uh, to build upon Web2 systems and to decentralize some good aspects of Web2 systems. 
And it's a lot of experimentation in the space. Um, so you can't just discount innovation and experimentation just because there are some bad eggs out there. And there are a lot of grifters in the crypto space. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, forgot to never introduced the show. Um, yeah, this is my video blog and my crypto brain dump in the morning of all the news and things that I learn in the space. Um, this is my my sandbox to be able to play around with audiovisual type of stuff. And I've learned a whole lot since I started this in October 24th of 2020. And then this is my message in a bottle to other Web3 and crypto folks out there and to anybody else who just wants to know uh, what I'm doing lately. Um, so, yeah, even people that I know in real life. Hey, you know, so here's me on the other side of the screen. Um, yeah, and this is what I do in the mornings. Uh, <laughs> I don't sleep in anymore. I don't stay up late at night. Uh, I just kind of hunker in my house and hang out with my kids and skateboard every once in a while and uh, learn about crypto. So, you know, and Web3. Yeah, I don't even like saying the word crypto anymore. It's so loaded with negativity. Um, you know, Web3 seems to be kind of... Uh, where a lot of this stuff is going, um, you know, we've had Web One, which was the static internet that you knew from the '90s, or I knew. I mean, a lot of a lot of you are younger than that, um, but I remember when it first came out, and I was a teenager at the time, and I, I you know, kind of understood that it was kind of a big deal. Um, my parents, you know, set up the you know AOL in the house, you know, that went through all the motions on the modem. <laughs> Bang, 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 you know, trying to get everything to connect. And, you know, it, was an, it took a horrible amount of time to get one picture to download. Um, all the websites were presentation only. They just, they, they showed you information. So it was a one-sided transaction. That's Web 1.0. And then Web 2.0 came about and it allowed you to input information like on to create a MySpace page. You know, you upload your photos, you upload your profile information, you can upload your pics and share daily stuff. And, you know, like Facebook now, people taking pictures of their food and, you know, whatever, you know, bitching about their boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, publicly letting all their dirty laundry out. Um, that's Web 2.0. And um, it, it allows a dynamic interchange between the client and the server, between you and wherever all that information is being held in some data warehouse somewhere. But it's all owned by whatever platform you put that on. And it's owned by Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or you know TikTok or whatever. And that's Web 2.0. So now we're going into Web 3.0 where all that information is being decentralized, where you can own your data and you can own your photos and your likes and your comments. And all of that has its own metadata and tags to it. So it doesn't just live on a page in a server. It lives everywhere. And um, you can take you can put that in your that in your wallet and you can go from social media site to social media site to social media site if you want or any other type of Web3 site. And you can take your information with you and you can choose to let that site uh, have certain parts of your information and you have control of that data. So that's kind of what Web3 is and that's where we're going. However, it's been a rough road getting there. You know, we, we, uh, there, there's, it's a new space. You know, it's, it's the birth of the internet all over again. And, you know, originally back in the, the early days of the web, uh, anybody could put up a website, you know, and that was kind of a decentralized web. And it just wasn't advanced. It was like a real, it's like an eight bit video game 
pick graphic and now we're you know trying to do 3d graphics on the same type of platform you know so uh yeah anyway so i don't know where to start here so let's go over here to this project i recently got rugged on um i discovered this last night um freaks and guilds is a play to earn game that i have been playing for a while i not really being super active with it but every once in a while i'll go in and i'll just like poke around and you know i, I will i'll do a battle you know which is where um, i'm waiting for the page to load but it's where you um basically take you buy the nfts to play the game and um, you go in here and you can build a team of nfts and then you do battle um of your characters versus somebody else's characters you know, it's pretty much a standard, you know, kind of card-based game where you have certain characters with certain attributes and powers, and then you go to battle against somebody else. And if they, you know, have if their combination of characters beats yours, then you know you lose your cards or something like that. Um, so anyway, Freaks and Guilds was supposed to be one of those games based on NFTs, and you could buy the NFTs. Um, the NFTs here's. Anyway, here's their NFTs available on open seas. You know, there's trolls, fairies, you know, uh, ogres and stuff like that. I mean, it's, I, I know it's it's really childish, <laughs> but hey, man, I liked it. Um, you know, a neighbor friend of mine, you know, showed me this game and, uh, you know, I was like, cool, man. So I've you know, bought some of these. You know, I, I minted them when they first came out. And uh, the game rolled out, and it rolled out successfully. It was pretty popular. Um, I even did a couple episodes on it way back in the day. And, uh, you know, just casually here and there, as I've been going along, I've been buying these um, NFTs on OpenSea, and I've been logging in and um, going into these battles, you know, taking those characters that I just showed you on OpenSeas. You know, this one takes... Um, yeah, it takes seven freaks to enter this battle here and five freaks to enter this battle and you get rewards. You know, you get the freak bucks and the stamina potions and you can go in here to the Well of Souls and you can, you know, fuse your characters together to create really powerful characters and you can go you know hunting which is kind of basically you know staking your your nfts and you earn freak bucks and potions and stuff like that as a reward and but there's a chance that they could you know have the hunting mission fail and you so yeah i mean it's it's a pretty interesting game and uh, i've enjoyed playing it but um there has been an issue like for instance let's go here to enlist and I get a warning pop up right there in the top right hand say you should select six tokens. Well, the screen only said five tokens. And I was like, what the heck? And this happened on all of them. So, um, you know, I, I just went in and I bought five more NFTs yesterday. Luckily, they're not really expensive. They're pretty cheap NFTs in order to play this. And I was getting this error message pop up. And so I went over here. So I went over here to the Discord server and I started seeing, you know, a bunch of arguing on the Discord. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Um, they're arguing about something being on somebody. And then they're saying, I have no answers here either. People are not getting answers to their questions. There hasn't been any mo moderators on the, the chat. 
they're saying, you know, I've modded before. I've been in their shoes. Sucks when you're trying to hold something together and the team is just straight shite. So apparently there's been no moderators on there. There's been no um, uh, contact from the team who would normally go in and hang out in the chat quite a bit. So, uh, so oh boy, back where we started. So we went from rug, no rug, rug, no rug, rug. Then last thing was no rug. Now rug again. And then somebody else said, I wouldn't call this a rug. They didn't take the mint money and run. They tried. They just got in over their head with how to handle all the issues that were happening. They made a game, just completely effed it up along the way. They don't seem to be interested in trying to resolve any issues. They are completing what roadmap they have so there's no legal issues with not delivering on promises. I was like, oh no, and I get this sinking feeling in my stomach that I've felt before, you know, whenever you realize that the project is absolutely um, tanking. So, you know, you get people trying to justify saying, you know, it's okay that I wouldn't, they didn't, they tried, they tried, they got in over their head. I've, I've heard all this before. Um, I, and then someone else is in denial. I never would have pegged this project team to handle like this. And then someone else said, for real, I call total BS on this. They're sitting on a couple hundred thousand each and don't want to invest it in the game. That is our money, not theirs. They didn't earn it. That's the biggest problem with this space and why we, why the free mint model is actually the best um, even though some of the better artists are still rejecting it. So the, the artists want to get paid for their work, but then you have um, uh, people, this team that has built the game and the developers that are running off with the money um, you know, based on people buying the artist's work and these NFT projects. All right, so yeah, it looks like a slow rug. And what is a rug pool? A rug pool is basically whenever you have developers create a project and they sell the tokens or they sell the NFTs and they promise a bunch of great things. And then once all those tokens have been sold and they have the Ethereum or the USDC or whatever uh, cryptocurrency that is really liquid, in their little multi-sig or not even multi-sig wallet a lot of times, they suddenly drop all communication. You'll start seeing their profile pics disappear. You'll see that their Discord servers um, inactive with with the with the team. You know, you, you'll <laughs> you'll start seeing their telegrams drop off, and uh, yeah, you'll, you, no sign of the developers whatsoever. And that is a rug pull, and you're stuck holding these tokens. You know, there's an entire um, project called Rug Zombie that <laughs> does nothing but takes all these old NFTs and tokens and stuff like that from these rug pulled projects and uh, they they create other cool NFTs out of them just to kind of recycle rug pulled projects. So th this is pretty common in this space. Um, so yeah, you know, people are all pissed and they're in denial and they're they're you know tagging the the, the people on the game team. So somebody else said, yeah, Drogo hasn't been around since people were supposedly threatening him through his mom's church or group or something. <laughs> I'm not sure why they're surprised. It's like they think they can just cash out and not even try to address their community and think people will just be like, oh, well, I didn't want that few grand anyway. Hope the team has a good life. They deserve it. Um, so somebody else made a good poignant comment of kind of more what I'm trying to talk about here. Yep, this project highlights what's broken with the NF3, NFT Web3 system and why the free mint model is the future. We as collectors can't just trust that founders of projects are going to take the funds we invested and put them towards what they're supposed to go to. There needs to be an incentive for them to continue to build and not just run off with the money. And right there, that comment absolutely pinpoints what's going on 
with this new development, this new technology in the Web3 space, um, even if people do come in with good intentions, once people get money in their hands, it's insane how greedy and lazy people can get and this their change of mind it's almost like a, a change of chemistry in the brain and there's no incentive for them to continue building if you know, they have like you know five hundred thousand dollars in their bank account and before they were you know um, eating totino's pizza in their mom's basement you know so yeah, then they suddenly have no incentive to build or you know use that money to grow it further. To them, they they've made it big. That five hundred thousand dollars is yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's freedom. And so suddenly they have no incentive to keep going and dealing with people's comp complaints and showing up to work basically. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> they've made it. But what about everybody else? And so you know, people are are pissed, understandably so. If you scroll down on the main page, it gives all the synopsis of what's all going on, even a cool video. But, you know, look at the team here. They're basically a bunch of kids, you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what the Web3 space is right now. It is a bunch of kids, um, you know, and, and I'm saying this as, you know, grown ass man, you know, but uh, so it's, it's, they don't have the maturity, I guess, to handle a lot of, you know, this type of stuff, or maybe they came in there with the idea of scamming people. I I don't think so because I was at in this uh, Discord server at the beginning, and uh, you know I think they intentionally wanted to to do it, and then they 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 sold out all their supply, and they sold out all their celestial keys, and they got all that money, and they and they threw this big big party, you know, that nobody really asked for or whatever, and kind of a, a douche canoe type of party in Miami. And, uh, you know, and then the game continued on for a little while longer. And then now here they are. Um, there's been some technical issues and people have been bitching at them for a little bit. And I don't think that they can necessarily take that. And then here they are just slowly dropping off. I think a couple of the mods tried to hang on and like, you know, talk to people and get them answers. But, uh, you know, it's hard to be you know, the sales guy whenever you don't have the production team um, answering your, your your phone calls or emails. You know. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so yeah, so um, here's a little thing that you can do. Here's the 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 CFO or one of the co-founders of Chainforce Technologies, which is the one that um, built the game. Um, so, but everyone that has been scammed should go to this page and file complaints about this project. Um, and it gives the details right here. All uh, investor victims of the Baller Ape Club, Club, Empire X, TBIS, and Circle Society schemes are, in court, are encouraged to visit this webpage, uh, justice.gov forward slash criminal dash VNS forward slash crypto dash enforcement. Um, to identify themselves as potential victims and obtain more information on their rights as victims, including the ability to submit a victim impact statement. Um, I don't know, man. You know, like, victim, I'm not sure is the right word. You know, we all come into this Web3 space right now with, um, sure, dreamy pie eyes, but... Um, you know, the reality is, is this is an unregulated space, so... I don't know, you know, you, you, you take your own risks, you know, but there has to be something be, besides just do your own research, you know. So there's somebody in the bankless DAO and um, that wrote a really interesting article 
and that pertains to specifically this type of behavior and uh, is written by Samantha Marin. And the article is called We Made the Internet Hard Again. Okay, so I will basically read this. You know, it's a good article. Uh, I think it's worthy reading. So Web 2 was easy. Web 3 isn't. So she says, we made the internet hard again. The early internet was kind of a rocky start with dial-up and no search engines until the advent of broadband. You had to, to, to uh, dial up the internet and wait for it to answer. It was expensive, time-consuming, and not that fun. Then came Web 2, the era of user-generated participatory and interactive sites. Web 2 has some issues primarily related to the influx of multinationals who saw the opportunity inherent in a two-way internet and developed platforms to collect user data thus making users the product, right? And Facebook, MySpace, your data, their property. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they get to target you for ads and they make tons of money while you make nothing. So anyway, but we can't deny that Web2 did something magical. It made the internet easy to use. Yeah, you know, Facebook's basically the trailer park of the internet because any old person could use that and uh, even a crackhead could use Facebook, you know? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so Web2 made it possible for anyone in the world to access and interact with knowledge, resources, bank accounts, online classes, encyclopedias, social networks, side hustles, full-time jobs, inspiration, and healing. This was a breakthrough for user adoption. The biggest players in the Web2 space prioritized user experience, which is UX, is the abbreviation for it, first. They did that first, ruthlessly designing platforms that made the internet fun and easy, not a confusing corner for tech nerds. And if you've seen things like Snapchat and TikTok, you know, that's why kids love it, you know, because it's super easy and fun to use. You see little girls doing their dance pieces to, to their favorite songs, and it's just fun, you know? And uh, so anyway, the better the UX got, the more people around the world embraced the web. Web UX makes it better and makes it easier to use sites when you're pressed for time or just don't have a strong enough connection to take the time to click all over the site. Trying to figure out what to do next, especially in countries reliant on mobile phones, like all over Africa, you know, they, they have, you know, basically a, a lot of people live in huts with goats and they still have, you know, uh, mobile phones and smartphones, you know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> That, that, I mean, crypto is huge in Africa because of that. You know, they don't have like this infrastructure, this legacy infrastructure holding them down and they can just go mobile phone to mobile phone to mobile phone, you know. And so anyway, I don't want to get off on a, on a tangent, but, you know, the, the UX is so easy. It's, a, it's just spreading like wildfire over there. So the better the UX got, the more people around the world embrace the web, the better, better UX makes it easier to use sites when you're pressed for time or just don't have a strong enough connection to take the time to click all over the site trying to figure out what to do next, especially in countries reliant on mobile phones. Those without access to reliable internet connections, quick speeds and laptops or computers, Web 2's simple phone apps and well-laid-out sites were huge for opening up access. I mean, I've been speaking here and there to a skateboard community over in Gambia. You know, like literally the guy's being hit by monsoons or whatever, you know, big storms and barely has power a lot of the time, but the guy can still manage to get on Instagram and talk to me. It's crazy. So anyway, uh, this chart shows the rate of internet adoption by country. Look at the massive spikes of the onset of mobile and better UX of the web too. Right here, here's the developed nations, South Africa, Kenya, and Iran from 2000 all the way over to 2010, where you start seeing the spike 
in usage in these countries that um, that don't really have a whole lot of infrastructure, suddenly you see a spike in the web usage uh, right when Web 2 started hitting around you know, late 2000, early, 2000 to 2010. So now fast forward to 2022. I worry that Web 3, the internet of ownership enabled by cryptography and blockchain technology, we're going backwards. Good point, Samantha. So if we throw out all of our learnings from Web 2, including more than two decades of user experience insight, we're not going to build a better internet for the world. We're going to build an internet for the wealthy, rather wealthy in money, time, or education. Yeah, and there are more than than one type of wealth. It's not just about money. You know, like uh, there are a lot of people that might have a, m- a lot of money, but they don't have any time at all, you know? So they're kind of a plebe in their own right, you know, that... <laughs> <laughs> so time and education too is, is is wealth. So anyway, I'm not here to build that. Uh, the problem is, is Web3 is not designed for everyday users and it's shaping up to be a tragedy. Web3 ain't easy. When will it be? Uh, she says, I want to give the world access to decentralized financial tools, permissionless voting via smart contracts and verifiable ownership of digital assets. But it's not going to happen if we don't pause long enough to recognize that we're doing something irreversible and unnecessary, making the internet difficult again. Uh, there's a, t- a tweet here that she uh, screenshots. We must build for the average user, not for DeFi native ether scan super user. And we don't have that luxury anymore. And yeah, and that is a huge thing. You know, the, it's just the UX sucks. You know, MetaMask is is hard for people to learn. The whole idea of public and private keys are uh, ether scan. Looking at it, you're just kind of like overwhelmed at first. You don't understand what all that stuff is. So anyway, she says, I don't mean to attack the developers or tell anyone in Web3 what they're doing, that they're doing bad work, right? The reality is we probably need to go through these growing pains to get where we want to go. Web1 had to go through this too. But right now, Web3 UX, but right now, Web3 UX is demeaning. Yeah, it is. UX tells a story. And right now, it's not a very good one. When I open up the app for an exchange and see a wall of charts without explanations, yeah, the UX tells me that I'm not enough of a trader to use DeFi. And I remember the first time that I opened up an exchange uh, in crypto and I tried to open up Kraken even, you know, not even a DEX. And um, it was just, I had no idea what was going on or what to use or how to do pairs and things like that, you know? So, um, yeah. Uh, when I try to join a DAO and I'm met only with a Discord link as my source of information, I'm left with the feeling that maybe it's not for me. If I don't have enough free time to navigate the endless chat channels, yeah, exactly. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of DAOs and projects. They don't have like a, a roadmap. They don't have a docs page that tell you all about what the project is. They just give you a link to their Discord. Then you have to go over there and you have to try to surf through and talk to people. And I don't, I don't have time for that. And nobody got time for that, right? And anyway, when I try to build that, buy that NFT and the UX tells me the transaction failed, but not why. The UX is telling me I'm not welcome. Yeah, the user experience of Web3 is confusing and cold and not designed for the average person. That's why I don't even really try to explain uh, Web3 to people in real life anymore. You know, it's it just gets into this like rabbit hole of a conversation and it's not good party talk. <laughs> you, know, like, you just, yeah, and I'm not fun at parties anymore. <laughs> to move to move forward, we need to take a ped, page from Web2's book, Ruthlessly Prioritize the User. Okay, that's what Web2 did. Um, Web2 was successful because it put user experience first. I think part of the reason we compare Web3 to Web1 so much is because both lack something critical that Web2 got right. User experience. Yeah. 
both Web 1 and Web 3 are often called the Wild West, where tech-savvy users go gallivanting around the corners of the Internet themselves with no roadmap and enough free time and funds to put hours into it. And I haven't really had a bunch of funds or free time, but that's why I wake up at the butt crack before dawn and uh, been doing this stuff to learn this stuff. And I... That's why I have a hard time trying to explain to anybody uh, asks about my interest in crypto because then I have to go through this like rabbit hole of trying to explain to them the foundations of blockchain technology. And it's just I've put hours and hours and hours and hours of research into this stuff, you know, and I don't want to have to just explain all the basics and foundations to somebody new coming into it. And that's why so many people impatiently say D-Y-O-R or do you do your own research? And it's it's not fun for somebody trying to get into the space. No wonder people. People are bitter at crypto and Web3 people, you know, like I understand. So Web2 was an Internet renaissance for everyone because of user experience. Why did Apple succeed? They designed a personal computer for the average person, not for the tech savvy coder. Why did Amazon succeed? They built a platform based upon relentless prioritization of the user. They made it so easy for the user to engage with them that it became a no brainer for most. Um, I fear that the Web3's general distaste for the practices and principles of Web2, they've polarized to the opposite extreme. Like I said, you know, like uh, we've thrown, uh, we've gone so against the banking and the credit system and, you know, trying to, to focus on this idea of freedom and autonomy, which is good and financial autonomy of the individual that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. You know, maybe there are some good things like in, in Web 2 and in the traditional, you know, TradFi system, like uh, regulations, you know, like <laughs> that can help us, you know? So yeah, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's all I'm saying. I fear that with Web 3's general distaste for the practices and principles of Web 2, we've thrown out something valuable along with the corporate greed and the platform monopoly. While throwing out those nasties, we've also accidentally thrown out our empathy for the average user. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying, user experience design is all about empathy. It's all about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and designing products or experiences that enrich their lives. It's about imagining exactly where, when walking, where, when walking through an airport, a flight status board should be placed and a bathroom sign should be hung. It's about looking at photo editor apps and making an undo button for those mistakes for your users will make. It's about creating a bill pay service on your banking application in a way that demonstrates safety and security for users because you already know that's what they desire. It's all about empathy. Uh, I worry that we're losing that empathy in Web3. So she says, instead of showing empathy, we, we repeat not financial advice. You know, you see every YouTuber say that at the beginning of their videos, myself included. Um, I didn't say it this morning, but uh, you know, do your own research. And I'm not a lawyer over and over again while never pointing anyone in the right direction to find that financial advisor or do that research or hire that lawyer. Um, so we tell people, be safe. Make sure you trust every contract before you sign it without explaining how to be safe or how to know when to trust something in a supposedly trustless system. So anytime you sign your MetaMask, you're signing you know, some kind of contract. And a lot of that, there's just goobly gop of code in there. And uh, you just don't understand it. And you sign it anyway because you want to get access to that website. And the same thing, though, happens in Web 2, you know, when you have your terms and conditions and you have to sign it. In order, it, you have to click yes, you accept it. In order to even use the website, you don't scroll through and you know meticulously comb through all that legalese on there. You just 
you sign it because that's what you want to use, but you're signing your data away. And in the same way in Web3, you're signing your security away, you know? So, and we expect people to have the time and risk tolerance to self-custody their assets without providing empathy for those who can't take that risk. We tell them to go figure it out on their own. And with that, we turn them away in droves to go and write anti-crypto and think pieces for the New York Times, right? Uh, so here we go. All Web3 apps to date have been, here's a tweet screenshot. All Web3 apps to date have been built with the crypto native user in mind. The next generation of Web3 apps will be built for the rest of us. Mobile UX, modular UI, composable primitives, portable assets, identities, human readable activity, and tech abstracted away. So ways forward for Web3. Web3 expects average people to care about the tech stack that something was built on. Yeah, yeah. Nobody cares about the tech stack. You know, it expects people to choose a train and form a tribe around the maxis of that chain until Web3 until Web3 starts acknowledging the real world on the ground print problems people are coming to the tech to solve. It will stay in tech nerd limbo land. And that's where Bitcoin was for the longest time. I think in a way, Bitcoin's kind of starting to release itself from that with the adoption of institutions of Bitcoin in a way. Uh, we build ourselves a maze of steps requiring every user to navigate each one on their own. We built a palace for those lucky enough to have the time and resources to invest in learning about Web3, ignoring those who don't have the chance to sit down and figure out what a seed phrase is. This is not irreversible. We can solve this. I've been trying to solve this and help people and walk people through this stuff with, with my little blog, you know, by people can see the mistakes that I make. Like I pointed out earlier in the freaks and guilds, you know, um, example, you know, I got rug pulled, even me, I spend hours and hours and hours and hours on this stuff and I still get rug pulled. So here's four key areas where web three needs better UX, how to get started, how to get involved, how to solve a real problem in your life, not through tech and philosophy, <laughs> how to exit or backtrack. Um, pe people need simple first steps. Simple first steps are how you get started. But in Web3, those simple first steps don't exist. Let's use a Web2 page as an example. I'll compare a bank to a decentralized exchange. And this, she shows a screenshot of Bank of America. While the design might look a little ugly, every corner of this page is geared towards a person looking at the page for the first time. From open an account to schedule an appointment to the range of credit card offerings, all with a link to click. There's somewhere to land if you're there for the first time. Even the search bar in the right top corner helps you get started from scratch. This page was clearly designed for the first time user. Now I'll compare it to the basic DeFi page and they all look the same. They all basically have that, that Uniswap interface. And so she grabbed a generic one. And if you're there for the first time, what would you possibly do? I remember the first time that I set foot in Uniswap, you know, or synthetics or anything like that. I was just like, what the heck do I do? And there were no instructions. I had to scour the internet for some Chris Bleck video that explained and walked me through the steps of Uniswap and Aave and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I was thankful that he was there to explain that stuff, you know, but uh, I had to go do my own research to figure it out. And then people just smugly and arrogantly just yelling at newbies to do their own research. And that no wonder people don't like crypto, you know, like the average person, th that type of attitude. Anyway, and if you were there for the first time, what would you possibly do? Where would you go? How would you start? And where surprised the user adoption of crypto outside centralized providers is so low. Most of you probably got into crypto the same way I did, a peer showing you the ropes. Or maybe you got a really great podcast, like for me, it was the Chris Bleck walkthrough of Uniswap and Aave, or a YouTube channel got you started. But if you didn't have that, you would be completely and utterly lost when landing on this generic DEX. 
We do have emerging resources to help solve this problem. Rabbit Hole, for example, is a course that guides you through the rules and mechanics of Web3. Such projects are excellent, and I love that resources like this exist. But what if you had to take, make, to take a course when you were trying to open a Bank of America account? Yeah. yeah. What if you had to take an entire course just to open a bank account? You know, how, what would people do who have to work 10 hours, 12 hours a day, you know, 60, 80 hours a week or whatever, you know, just to make ends meet? three part-time jobs, whatever. Yeah, they don't have the time to take a bank account course, you know, so uh, they, they just need to go down to the branch and open up a bank account, you know, so, or go to the website and open up a bank account quickly, right? So what if you had to learn a whole new dictionary of terms every time you were trying to start something new in web two? What if you, in order to use Facebook, you had to take like, you had to have an entire glossary of terms to learn how to, to upload your photos to, to Facebook and do your comments and your likes. Imagine if you're a parent with poor internet connection and only half an hour between your job ending and your kids getting home from daycare to solve your problem of needing somewhere to move money around. Would you try Bank of America or the DEX, the Decentralized Exchange? Call them what you want, but Bank America has designed an application with users in mind. They've designed it with the intention of helping the young parent with the half hour of time and the poor internet connection. They've designed it for the world. These are the people we need to design for in Web3. People need clear pathways to get involved. People who are interested in Web3 also need a way to get involved and get work. But how do you get involved in DAOs? How do you get work in crypto? Again, I'd bet you started with a friend or a peer showed you what to do. Or maybe you listened to a podcast or read an article. Or you invested time and energy in the work. Hopefully, I've helped you learn a lot about this crypto space and all my past videos and my blundering and rambling and whatever I do. But at least hopefully I've, I've, I've helped you a little bit to try to understand the space a little better. Because there you see a lot of these people you know, at neighborhood barbecues talking about how they made a ton of money off of Shiba Inu. You <laughs> they're like yeah all right. you're like oh my god dude. you know so and then suddenly you get involved and then you get scammed and you get mad at the neighbor you know and uh yeah it's just it, it's not pretty so again no company be they web 2 or web 3 is perfect most are quite flawed we raise these issues not to glorify the company but to show where improvements could be made um, this Google page, and they, she shows a screenshot of a Google page, uh, demonstrates seamless, simple UX because you can simply type the role you would like and where you want it located. Instant results. The internet in this scenario is incredibly easy. It just simply works. In DAOs, there's no simple way to apply for work without untangling the mess of links and information presented. And so she says, here we'll make fun of ourselves, ourselves being bankless DAO, which I'm a part of, because we know we have a long way to go. This is what new users, new, new joiners see after going through a brief verification process in Bankless DAO. And it's a whole wall of text, you know, and all these, these conditions and things you have to do. They've tried to make it easier doing first quests and stuff like that, but it's still just like a, a fire hose of stuff coming at you. Uh, for the Web3 native, you might have read that and thought pretty straightforward, right? For the non-initiated, this is pure gibberish. Bank, Collabland, Wallets, Level 2. Again, we know we can improve, so we're poking fun at ourselves. We've been designing the systems without any thought to how an average non-tech savvy user would encounter them. 
This is why user adoption of Web3 is so difficult. This is why DAOs struggle to attract and retain top talent. This is why we need to learn from Web2. People need benefits and solutions, not tech and philosophy. Yeah, and I'm totally guilty of you know, learning, trying to explain zero knowledge proofs and, and sharding and, and, and all that type of stuff and, and roll-ups. And then I'm talking about the philosophy, libertarian philosophies of circumventing the banking system and credit system and how we're all going to be enslaved by C CBDCs. But I don't a lot of times talk about the practicality of all this. You know, like what's it really like using this stuff? So, And one of the biggest problems in Web3 UX right now is the sheer lack of benefit-driven writing and designing. Instead, everything is designed around tech and philosophy, hoping that the users are willing to jump through a million hoops for the sake of achieving the still undefinable decentralization. You know, this is goal that everybody's trying to get to. Just like most people in the world don't care if Netflix is built on AWS. Most people in the world don't care if Web3 Netflix is built on Ethereum or Solana or Cosmos. While most while people in Web3 now may care about those things, if we're going to reach mainstream adoption, we need to design for the rest of the world, not just our bubble of crypto Twitter. When designing a product, a web page, or a hiring process, we need to think more deeply about the problems people have and design solutions to those problems. Most people don't go in search of philosophical ideas around decentralization or self-sovereignty when they're trying to solve a problem. They look for the solution to their problem. Yeah, like people don't go watch my videos a lot of times if they want a step-by-step, -step, you know, how to do something in MetaMask type of video. You know, I've, I've, I've gotten criticism that I ramble too much. Yeah, and I do, you know, but this my videos are not a step-by-step -step process. I do talk about tech and philosophy, you know, but a lot of times people are wanting a solution to their problem and that solution needs to be quick and easy and simple to understand. Don't watch my videos if you're looking for solutions. <laughs> for example, look at Slack. One of the empires of Web2 has made their website about solutions, not tech or philosophy. Slack shows how you how you can make decisions faster and stay organized and collaborate with teams at other companies. It, it doesn't tell you its philosophies in remote work and agile systems, although you can definitely find those philosophies somewhere on the internet. But when hooking its first times users, it focuses on how it will make the, the lives of those users better. Some Web3 products are marketed towards the most advanced users. That's okay. These products can use a different set of benefits and solutions for those users, which might involve a mix of tech and philosophy. But for entry-level first-time products, it's unreasonable to think that people will care what chain their app is built on or how the team thinks about decentralization. <laughs> for Web3 to go mainstream, we need to give people solutions, not philosophy. People need empathy when something goes wrong. One of the primary principles of UX is to always provide an exit route. Unfortunately, blockchains don't have an exit route. Transactions are irreversible. But that doesn't mean we can't offer empathy when something goes wrong or make sure we design for users who might be buying a transaction for the first time. Uh, so she gives all these 10 usability heuristics. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go through those right now. But uh, using crypto and Web3 should not feel impenetrable to first-time users. They should not feel lost in the dark about transactions they're making. They should feel comfortable trying something without needing a knowledgeable peer to show them how. If we don't give empathy to users by providing them with an exit route or explaining why there isn't an exit route, then we're going to lose the user adoption battle. One way to do this is by making an empathy map, which is a way to identify what a user says, feels, thinks, does when performing an action. And so she gives an example here of an empathy map. I'm, uh, the link is in the video description. You can go take a look and see the the visual graphics and, and, and you know, um, muse over it all you want. 
Creating an empathy map can help designers understand where the users are when they are using the product. It can help us build in exits in case something goes wrong and provide reassuring messages and tool tips when they're unsure about where to go next. It can help us humans. It can help us design for real humans who make real mistakes and have real fears and doubts and questions. Or even better, we can take things one step further and ask non-tech savvy users to test our apps and products. We can reach the general public and run experiments with them. So I, I say that a lot of times in my videos. You know, I've been kind of a non-tech savvy user on a lot of these projects. Um, the the teams and I've received some criticism from people on some of the teams that I've uh, you know, uh, uh, represented their project incorrectly. Well, first of all, I'm not trying to represent your product. I am one of these these uh, non tech savvy users going through trying to learn your product. So learn about me trying to look at your product and project for the first time. <laughs> like any wise team would probably see that, you know, rather than me trying to represent their product. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to learn it. And so anyway, we can bring the principles of user research to test a product with the real users early and often into Web3 product development. We don't need to reinvent the wheel in Web3. We just need to ensure the wheel runs smoothly. So uh, she says, I'm here to build a better internet, not a harder one. I don't want a hard internet again. I'm not here to build that. Me too. All right. Okay. We're on the same page, Samantha. So in fact, I'm here to build an internet that's even easier to use than web two. I'm here to build an internet where you can join a DAO and get work without months of channel scrolling and lurking. I'm here to build an internet where anyone in the world can swap tokens and make payments without jumping through hoops and getting stuck behind legal restrictions. I'm here to build an internet that is truly equitable for all. If you struggled with getting started in web three in any way, know that you're not alone. Don't blame yourself. It's an entirely new world that is filled with technical jargon and confusing apps. And I'm right there with you. I have 483 episodes of me trying to, to, to go through technical jargon and confusing apps, you know, and this is my experience of it. And you'll see ups and downs and frustrations and me making a complete fool of myself and successes. So if you'd like to join me or if you found this post helpful, please share it with a friend. Web3 is a movement and it needs more than big philosophical ideas to take off. It needs true empathy for the average user. It needs empathy for people like you and me. So thank you, Samantha. Marin for for uh, publishing this article. This is a really good article, and it really does, um, I believe, hit the nail on the head as exactly where we are in Web three. Oh man! So yeah, with everything that has gone on with the Celsius stuff, you know, the whole idea of accredited investor kind of looks better and better as well as well. Even though I've ranted and raved about it, and so yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that somebody really just put this in words and, and, you know, and, uh, verbalized it, you know, so maybe not vocalized it, but verbalized it. Anyway, that being said, I've gone on quite a while today. Um, I, I just, you know, a lot of things have been building up and I have been kind of overwhelmed with what to talk about. And, um, this is one of those things because everything is getting really difficult right now is in the web three space and trying to explain to people that even though the market and the crypto price is down, there's still a lot of amazing things going on. And how do you put that in words? Uh, well, you know, this is, this has been perfect. All right. Well, um, yeah, that being said, I'm going to go enjoy my Saturday and, um, you all please try to enjoy your weekend as well. So yeah, yeah, do something nice. Have fun. Go get some vitamin D out there in the sun. All right, I'll talk to you later. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. 
I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically, if you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks again.